tuned into the Recovery Innovators Radio Show, your access to today's best addiction recovery ideas, tools, and experts. Listen in and you will learn what is and what isn't working today. We want you, your loved ones, and anyone you know who needs a helping hand to find success in recovery and live the life they deserve. And now, here's your host, James Healy. This is James, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 16, a special edition report. Now, I'm here to help you turn your addiction recovery challenges into successes and freedom from everything that's keeping you from living the life you deserve. I check in with innovative addiction recovery experts, and we get to hear directly from them what is working today for addicts in recovery, for their families, their friends, and maybe we can help provide some industry insight for other experts, too. Now, we have a new administration coming into office here in the United States. President-elect Trump has threatened to repeal the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Now, the real issue with the repeal or reform, which it sounds like he might be downgrading it to already, of the Affordable Care Act, is access to care. Now, what will insurance cover? Will it still cover mental health and addiction treatment? Will young people have access? And will addiction in and of itself be classified as a type of pre-existing condition and thus a potential disqualifier for health coverage under the new Trump care? What about the soaring prices of drugs in this nation? Now, it's very unclear what Trump's health care plan will be, but many fear that we will see huge increases in opioid deaths and a dramatic decrease in addiction recovery resources and support. All things that will have an impact on access to care and effective addiction treatment. Now, my special guest today is Dr. Constance Scharf. She is an internationally recognized speaker and author on the topics of addiction recovery, women's health, and overcoming trauma. She is the author, under her Hebrew name, Ahuga Batya, of the award-winning poetry collection, Meeting God at Midnight. And she's also the co-author of the Amazon number one best-selling book, Ending Addiction for Good. Dr. Scharf serves as Senior Addiction Research Fellow and Director of Addiction Research for Cliffside Malibu, and she is here to talk to me today about this important information regarding the new administration and its potential impacts on the Affordable Care Act. All right, let's get right to this important interview. Dr. Scharf, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is really awesome. I'm excited to talk about um, what's happening in the world of, of politics. I know people kind of have a, a, a hangover from the election right now. Well, I think people but, are frightened and deservedly so because we yeah. haven't gotten a lot of indication of what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And we still don't have a clear idea of what's going to happen. We didn't have an idea before the election. Uh, Dr. Scharf, you're here today. And uh, first, I want to, uh, just so you can quickly tell the listeners, how did you end up on your path to help people, you know, in addiction and addiction recovery? Sure. So I was, um, uh, I'm an alcoholic. 
in recovery 18 and a half years. Right. And um, I was, you know, attending 12-step meetings like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also in grad school uh, for uh, leadership. My master's degree is in leadership. My bachelor's is in um, government, political science. And um, I started seeing uh, men and women coming back from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I was really dissatisfied with the level of care that they were receiving from the Veterans Administration. And uh, they started dying, either by their own hand or through relapse. Um, And that, for whatever reason, you know, triggered in me something that said, this isn't good enough. We have to do something better. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got my PhD, I switched my focus to addiction and looked for different ways, um, not just the standard, you know, this was, you know, a few years ago, a decade ago, um, which was, you know, we looked, it was 12 steps and that was kind of it, you know, and um, I was like, what are the alternatives to that so that more people can get and, uh, you know, sober and stay in recovery. And that's what I've been working on ever since. This is when you really started focusing then on um, evidence-based addiction treatment and kind of a more holistic approach. Absolutely. Because 12 steps are great. I will, I got sober through 12 steps. I will never denigrate that, you know, but on its own in the current, you know, contemporary era, it really doesn't have the Mm -hmm. recovery rate that we, that it did in the beginning, you know, and we have so many more resources open to us now, mm-hmm. especially the neuroscience that's right. been done in the last maybe four years or so. That's really opening up to us a whole new understanding of addiction mm-hmm. and allows us to use all sorts of different uh, complementary therapies like mm-hmm. yoga and meditation and acupuncture mm-hmm. in yeah. addition to intensive one-on-one psychotherapy that gives people a much greater chance at long-term recovery. I totally agree. And it, it allows more of a, a individually customized program of recovery, right? Well, it's specifically individually customized right. um, at our treatment center, and it really has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, you know, the 12 steps doesn't work for everybody in the sense of you might be in a place where it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. you know, or it just isn't the, you know, the way that you're, that you are going to specifically be able to, to get sober. I mean, we hear it in meetings all the time, problems with higher power, problems with powerlessness, you know, not wanting to share their story or, you know, our stories completely. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would like other options that are maybe more inclusive right. um, and individualized, as you said, so that more people have, a shot at being sober, at being clean. Yeah, I totally agree. And with the power of the interwebs and everything else, there's resources that people can find and be turned on to so much more easily that they might be right in their community or available, you know, through the internet that in the past just weren't there. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the, one of the things that we have learned that is so helpful is mindfulness meditation, a specific Mm, type of meditation. Well, if you live, you know, 30 miles from a small town, Mm -hmm. you know, in Oklahoma or something, there might not be a meditation teacher near you, but you could take an online class 
from the probably from the Dalai Lama or right. one of the people that he's <laughs> trained, right? Right. If yeah. you wanted to right in your own living room. Doesn't matter where you are anymore. So we really can get resources out to people that we never could before. You know, if you want to take up yoga and there's no yoga instructor where you are, boy, I bet you, I know a half a dozen people who will give you a private lesson through Skype. Yeah, exactly. And there's some great, I found some great yoga classes on YouTube. I was just you, going to you know, say YouTube is also an option. Yeah, it's right there. You got like your 30-day yoga boot camp and you can start from scratch not having any and you know as long as you're committed to doing it you can really progress and, and it can affordable. really help you out <laughs> it's very affordable yeah exactly you know so we have some real options nowadays yeah that's pretty cool so dr sharp we're here we want to talk a little bit about the new administration incoming um President-elect Trump has, of course, said that he was going to repeal um, the Affordable Care Act, which is now, it sounds like maybe he's going to reform it, maybe not get scrap it altogether, but maybe change it. And I just want to hear your thoughts on how this is going to impact um, addiction recovery resources that have become available to people now with this Affordable Care Act that weren't like when I was first in recovery there it was really tough like my insurance company didn't cover anything right <laughs> right so do you have any sense I mean it's changing day to day but do you have any sense like what um, might still be covered or, or is it gonna be deemed as a pre-existing condition that might be disqualified from a new health coverage or? Right. So, I mean, I'm going to preface this whole thing by saying I don't have a crystal ball right. and President-elect Trump doesn't call and ask my opinion. Right. But there are, there are several scenarios okay. that are likely, you know, the first thing, you know, which is likely not going to happen at this point is, you know, Trump had said on the campaign trail day one, we're going to, of my administration, we're repealing the Affordable Care Act, which of course would have left a horrific vacuum, mm -hmm. right? Because, mm. you know, that would have left it open for insurers to just cancel policies. Millions. Yeah, Millions instantly. of policies. So instantly. I, I, I do not believe that Trump is a dumb man. And no. so, you know, now he's like, oh, wait a minute, that's not actually going to work <laughs> right. and would cause turmoil, right? And no president-elect yeah. wants to cause that kind of turmoil. No. So, um, so now he's stepped back from that. He also had, you know, he was supposed to have a 10 or 15-minute meeting with President Obama last Thursday, and he was there about an hour and a half. Mm. And both sides have said one of the things they talked about was health care. Sure. And, um, you know, recently on the news, Obama has or Obama, Trump has said um, that pre-existing conditions will be one of the things that they're excluded as pre-existing, that you can't have pre-existing conditions will be excluded as mm -hmm. one of um, the changes to the to the Affordable Health Care Act. So does that make sense? He's going to he wants to keep that. Right. OK. That's what he's saying he wants to keep. He wants to keep um, uh, young people up to the age of 26 being, on, being able to stay on their parents' insurance. Mm -hmm. okay. um, 
but prefaced also with if we can afford it. So what we're going to see as this comes to pass is there's going to be a tension between the services and the rules that we want on insurance Mm -hmm. versus what's the government and what are the individuals, because both are paying, right? Mm -hmm. What are they willing to pay for? Mm -hmm. So let's give another example. The Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act, called CARA, C-A-R-A, which was passed passed earlier this year and partially funded by Congress. It was started. It was started. So this is good news because our Congress hasn't done anything. It can barely (laughs) get a budget passed three months late, right? Right. So so this shows by that it got passed and partially funded. This is good news for us. This means that con- this is something Congress believes in. Yeah. And Trump was asked about this. And, and for those who don't know, this is um, an act that provides funding for medication assisted treatment, MAT therapy, which is like Suboxone, right? Yeah. To help, you know, opioid abusers. Yeah. It um, does some grassroots education to try to keep people off of opioids. Mm-hmm. And it provides uh, naloxone, which is the opioid overdose reversal drug that doesn't magically cure you, but it can revive you enough to get you to emergency medical treatment. Right. It can save your life. It saves, it saves, it saves lives. thousands of lives every, every year. Yeah. So um, those are the three things that it funds. And it's a $210, $220 million program. Right. Well, Trump has said, hey, that, uh, you know, this, this is a good, kind of a good idea. Like that, that doesn't sound good, to, bad to me. But is Congress then willing to spend the money that it takes to implement the program? That remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. And what concerns me is that we're also hearing rumblings not just of repeal or reform of the Affordable Care Act, which is really for sort of middle-aged people and families, right? Right. But also the repeal of Medicare Hmm. and possibly of Medicaid. So we're looking at a complete across, and that's Paul Ryan. Right. So we're looking at a complete across the board from the poor to the middle of America, working people to, to the elderly yeah. changes. When you start saying we want to repeal Medicare, I get worried about the future of the Affordable Care Act being kept at all. Yeah. Th- there would and have so, to be something to replace that, though. Well, does there? I mean, this is, this is the concern, right. right? Yeah. Because if you... If you deregulate, right, and you Mm -hmm. say insurers fill in the gap, Mm -hmm. then you get expensive policies that don't want to pay for things that have pre-existing condition clauses where women pay more than men, where, you know, medications, they don't want to pay for, you know, insurance doesn't want to pay for medications. Right. But the pharmaceutical companies want to make a huge, you know, profit. Jack up the prices. Yeah, exactly. So the consumer just left is left with no options. Right. You know, so if you don't have an insurer Mm -hmm. 
who can afford a Cadillac plan, Mm -hmm. you're out in the cold. And that's a possibility. That is definitely a possibility. And that's, you know, the extreme end. That's the more extreme end of what could happen. Right. And we just don't know right now. We don't know. Now, there are some protections, Mm -hmm. you know, and even though the Democrats essentially have no voice now. Right. Right. Because you've got Republicans in control of the House and the Senate and the White House and potentially in the not too distant future, future, the Supreme Court. Supreme Court. Yeah. Right. Right. But we do have things like the Mental Health Parity and the Addiction Equity Act which came out in 2008. Now we've had a mental health parity act a long time ago or many years before, and this sort of brought everything up to date and added addiction to it. And what this act says is that mental health and addiction services have to be treated on par with physical health and surgeries. So you can't just say, insurers can't just say, Hey guys, we're not going to do mental health coverage right. because it's because it tends to be expensive. That was the problem I ran into. Of course, right. we yeah. all did. Yeah, we all did prior to two thousand and eight. Right, and so, but that's separate. That's a, it's a different thing altogether than the Affordable Care Act. Okay, so it's possible even if you repealed completely the Affordable Care Act, you still have these other laws on the books right. that provide some minimal protections. But even then, it leaves the consumer fighting for what they need. I mean, how many times have we, you know, the doctor has said you need this medication and you go to the insurance company or into the pharmacy and the pharmacy says the insurance company won't cover it. They want you to take something else. They want you to try this other thing first or just, you know, and then you have to fight for it. Right. All that time you're fighting for it, not getting the treatment that you need. Exactly. One of the problems in mental health care right now is that the expectation is that you will fail out of lower levels of treatment mm-hmm. before you get to go to a residential treatment program. So the way that we have been most successful in treating people mm-hmm is to put a person in residential care, keep them for 90 to 120 days, and then step down to an intensive outpatient program. But insurance has it backwards. Insurance wants you to go to an intensive outpatient program, relapse a couple of times, and then they'll consider putting you into the residential treatment center for maybe 30 days. Maybe 28 or 30 days. You're right. Right. That's it. Yeah. Which isn't enough. (laughs) <laughs> well, it isn't enough, and it sets it sets the individual up for failure. But every right. time a person relapses, especially now that we have the opioid epidemic, right, that's an opportunity to die. Yeah, that's an opportunity to die. Well, then the insurance you get off the insurance back, you know. <laughs> right. But that's not how we. That's not how we should be doing healthcare in this country. You no. know, and and there's a terrible terrible uh, stigma against addiction and mental health issues, you know, yeah. and now, I have a quick question. Yeah. Um, wasn't 
um, addiction recently kind of reclassified as more of a, a disease, like a chronic disease versus a behavioral issue? And does that change this at all, the scenario? Well, yeah, it's interesting that you that you ask that. Addiction, um, when you look at the research, the research is moving more and more, and particularly the neuroscience research, that this is a behavioral disorder, but that the behavior of drug seeking, it's not just pouring the chemicals on your brain, mm-hmm. that the behavior of seeking drugs, of doing something over and over again, actually changes the structure and function of the brain. Right. So... The science is telling us one thing, but in terms of what's in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic <laughs> and Statistical Manual, right. um, what um, the, uh, the addiction specialists, the medical doctors and their addiction specialty organization are saying, they're really moving and pushing strongly for a chronic relapsing disease. Mm-hmm. In terms of medical insurance in this current climate, Trump aside, where we are today with the Affordable Care Act, Mm -hmm. that latter disease definition is is helpful because insurance pays for for medical disorders, for diseases. Exactly. Right? It doesn't pay for learning disabilities, right, or a learned disorder, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's really what it's really what we're kind of looking at. So, you know, it, it really is going to come down to, it doesn't, in a certain way, it doesn't matter what you call it. Yeah. Um, it matters what we define that insurance has to cover. Right. I I just, I was talking with someone, they were kind of likening it to like uh, type two diabetes or um, even uh, cardiac problems that are, are, are kind of a result of long-term behaviors and and was probably avoidable. Like most type two diabetes in adults is pretty avoidable. Well, it is and it isn't. There's a lot of people who are going to get diabetes because they have a genetic predisposition to it. And there are a lot of people who are going to get heart disease because they have a genetic predisposition to it. I mean, there are people who are, you know, 45 years old and they're jogging down the street and they're in really good health and they just fall over dead. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the, one of the main indicators of, of heart disease is sudden death. Right. So I, I don't, I don't know that that's, that that's fair. We also, you know, we understand because that's a, you know, it's a blame the, blame the victim sort of mentality, (laughs) Right. you know, and that's certainly, that's not to say that lifestyle isn't, isn't a factor. But what we really are understanding from addiction research is, first of all, poverty is the number one factor that will indicate addiction. Mm. Poor people become addicted more often than wealthier people overall, Mm -hmm. um, globally especially. And that's because addiction is related to trauma. So the idea of Mm self-medicating is you know, in very many ways being proven and and a very strong idea. So, you know, if you have, you know, children who are being bullied, Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. Which we're seeing all over the country right now. Oh, Little yeah. kids being told that their their parents are going to be deported and they should go back to Mexico and called the N-word and beat up because they're effeminate or might be gay, you know, right, or transgendered yeah. or whatever. And we don't do anything about it, which we don't on the whole. Right. And then they grow up to be drug addicts and we we say, well, look at you, you made bad choices. That's just not how it works. Right. Trauma and addiction go together. Definitely. I agree. And now, what about now training for doctors and addiction treatment? There seems to be, a, in the past, there hasn't been enough training for doctors and nurses. I, I was talking with someone recently from the Institute for Research, Education, and Training in the Addictions, and they have specific programs for nurses and that sort of thing, and they seem to fill these gaps and these holes. Is that um, something that has, you know, maybe started to get better with the Affordable Care Act and with uh, CARA as well? Well, uh, CARA and and a few other things, you know, smaller pieces of legislation over the past few years have helped that. But traditionally in medical school, and this is like right up till now, mm-hmm. doctors have from a few hours to one day of lectures that cover addiction. A few hours in, you know, <sighs> years of school and residency and, you know, all of that, a few hours of addiction, unless they become addiction specialists, you know. Right. So doctors come in with the same social prejudices as everyone else. And there are two groups of doctors in particular who see addicts the most. One is the primary care physician. Mm Mm-hmm who gets frustrated by the fact that the addicts are always lying and non-compliant because that's what we do, mm-hmm. right? Oh no, doctor, I don't drink that much. My doctor, I actually never lied about how much I drank and my doctor nearly fell over and was like, I don't know why you're not dead. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty much on the agenda. Like that's right. going to be happening soon. <laughs> that's next week. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, um, but most people are embarrassed, you know, yeah, so I drink, exactly. I, I drink, I drink two liters of, of hard liquor a day. But, you know, I was 22 years old. I didn't think that was a very big deal. The doctor was like, holy moly. You know, I was like, oh, you don't drink that much, you know. So, um, you know, so, but we, and we're not compliant. You know, the doctor's like, you should cut back on your drinking. And I just would stare at him. I'd be like, yeah, well, why don't you ask me to do something that might happen? You know, like, you know tie my shoes or something like I'm like I'm not going to cut back on my drinking are you nuts so so primary care physicians don't have a very good you know interaction with us and very often especially in rural areas they might treat the whole family Mm. so they see the damage that's caused to the spouse and the children and the you know grandmother and the whatever right so they don't have a good opinion of us and yeah. emergency room doctors right. because, oh boy, we're sneaky little people. And we go in there and we say, oh, I hurt my toe. I need, you know, fentanyl. They're <laughs> like, no, you don't get out of here. Right. Right. So they're the ones who see, who interact with us at our worst. And when they have no training or very limited training in identifying addiction, 
um, how to refer for addiction. Cause most of them say go to a 12 step meeting right? or yeah. go to rehab. They don't know. They don't have any idea. So this is a critical, critical component that really needs to be taken care of in medical school. Right. And I, I, I think also that the stigma surrounding it prevents people from being open and honest with their doctor. And sometimes maybe their doctors don't even want to go there because it's something they're not familiar with. And so they're not going to push it. They're not encouraging the openness and the honesty from their patients. I think that's starting to change, you know, mm -hmm. especially with primary care physicians, not as much with ER docs. I, I go around, all around the world, literally all around the world, training physicians, psychotherapists and other healthcare providers, mm -hmm. uh, social workers, et cetera, um, about the latest science of addiction and what we know about it. And what I find when I'm working with, you know, primary care doctors is that they really were sold a bill of goods by the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to see their patients in pain. Who does, right? Mm -hmm. And they gave them medications that they thought were safe. And now they're realizing that there's the problem. And I see most of them, you know, every group has its, you know, bad eggs. And there's a certain number who are really drug de dealers, you know, doctor feel goods, and they're right. being prosecuted, right? you know, but that's a very, very small percentage. And most of these doctors really just want, they do. I mean, when I go to a, when I go to a, a, a conference or a convention and speak, they show up in the hundreds sometimes to my presentations when they could be out golfing or seeing, you know, Budapest or whatever, right? <laughs> right, yeah. They show up because they want to know. They yeah, want right. to understand. And so I think that doctors are our, al our allies, mm -hmm. you know, and um, they have, you know, personally with, you know, my own medical care, they've always gone to bat for me with the insurance companies. When I call up doctors, you know, on behalf of mm -hmm. people that I'm working with, they're willing to, you know, what can I do? They, they want to work with the patient and, and get them the help that they need. And they're so frustrated pharmacists the same way that they can't do their jobs because they either weren't trained and so they don't know what to do with the addicts or they can't, you know, get the support they need from insurance payers, insurance companies. Right. And so they're all for, you know, prescription drug monitoring programs, I would, I would assume. I've, I've not had any doctor say to me, and I've met thousands in the last, you know, few years who have who have any problem with that at all. Right. You know, um, they they want you know, uh, they don't love, you know, having someone look in on what they're doing. Right. right yeah. But, you know, even, you know, I've worked with some doctors who are in hospice care. Mm -hmm. You know what? If you're if you're in end stage bone cancer, which I've been told is just exquisitely painful, unbelievably. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? You get whatever drugs you want because right. we don't care about the long term outcome of addiction because you're not going to live that long. Right. Right. So it's really about. And so doctors who do that, right, they get pinged immediately on these prescription sure. monitoring programs. And then right. they say, look, I deal with, you know, end of life and everybody goes fine. Right. So, you know, there are very few doctors who, who you know, have a problem with that. They really just 
want to get, you know, down to what does this person need? You know, I get calls from doctors all the time, psychotherapists who say my, my patient needs to be in treatment for more than 30 days. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you can do? Cause I, you know, I know their insurance runs out in 30 days and you know, our company has people who deal with that and they work with the insurance company, but you know, we, we get that all the time. Doctors are real advocates, real advocates. Yeah, they definitely, I mean, especially if you, if you show that you want to get better, right. You know, if, if you're just coming in and you're, you know, they've seen you already three times, you know, for an opioid overdose this month and you've got on your third, you know, third dose of Narcan, which is horrific to go through, by the way. I mean, it's not, it's not like candy, yeah. but the, the ER docs get fed up with that. But sure. if you show any interest in recovery, those primary care physicians will be there for you on the whole. Yeah. I mean, that's why they got into it. Then, Absolutely. Know, they truly want to help people. Yeah. So if, if you're willing to do the work on your end, they're willing to help you and do the work on their ends from what I see. So. Oh yeah. Well, doctors are concerned with compliance, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you go in and they tell you, they do all these tests and they say, okay, this is what you need to do. And then you go home and you don't do it. <laughs> right. It's very frustrating, you right. know, and, and some doctors get it. Like, you know, they're like, oh, wow, you need to lose 40 pounds. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know. And then you come back and you still need to lose 40 pounds. Right. <laughs> they're, the good ones are human. They're like, yeah, that's really hard. I know you're, you know, you're like, well, I didn't lose any weight, but I'm walking every day. Right. All right. Well, that's a win. Right. Right. That's a start. Exactly. It's a step in the right direction. Exactly. All right, we're going to take a quick one-minute break here, and uh, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about our sponsor for today's show, which is the Addictions Academy. The Addictions Academy is the nation's leading accredited addiction treatment services and sober coaching, intervention training academy, and uh, if you are looking to get into the addiction recovery field, maybe as a sober or recovery coach, or if you're looking to up your game and boost your skills for your current practice, uh, you can get some new training there. They have some amazing faculty and staff with decades of experience, and they have some great comprehensive coursework that's going to really give you those tools and resources that you need to, to really take your, your practice to the next level. So give them a call, 800-706-0318, or check them out at theaddictionsacademy.com. Again, that's theaddictionsacademy.com. And now back to our show. Do you see, you know, within your realm of the the treatment center area, the people kind of on pins and needles with this new administration kind of wondering what's going to happen next? Definitely a little concern out there, I'm sure. Well, certainly the company is. Yeah. Right? Because we have no idea what's going to be paid for or not. And one of the things that is concerning is up until this election, right? Mm -hmm. There are not enough addiction treatment beds or chairs in intensive outpatient programs. Mm -hmm. There's not, there just isn't enough all across the nation, especially back East. And you'll see wait times of three or four months 
to yeah. get into a treatment program. Well, you know, you know, if you're willing today, that's great. I need you in a bed within 48, maybe 72 hours. Right. Right. Because then the months. willingness, <laughs> right. The willingness goes and you, you have the opportunity every day. You're not in treatment. That's an opportunity for relapse. Yeah. You know, that's an opportunity for overdose. Overdose. Yeah. You know, that's an opportunity for death. And so all the treatment centers that are able have been gearing up and increasing the number of beds available because we've had the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act. Mm -hmm. So insurance has been increasingly paying, albeit for short stays, has been increasingly paying for those. Mm -hmm. If that goes away, we can't keep the beds open. So you're going to see more, you're going to see treatment centers closing or altogether or, or paring back on how many beds they have, they have because yeah. the only people we'll be able to see are private full pay clients. Right. Now that's the bedrock of our business. Mm -hmm. But if insurance can't, we have a bunch of insurance beds and if insurance isn't going to pay paying anymore, those beds will disappear. Right. And the, in, yeah, and that's I think been a great boon to this Affordable Care Act is that the the treatment is covered in a lot of cases for people when they need it. And, you know, it's hard to to get into a, a treatment center or or get the treatment you need at that moment, but at least um, it's it's available to a lot of people. It hasn't been in the past. Well, it hasn't been, but also. There will be, if this is, you know, if, if the mental health parity part is, is taken away, mm -hmm. you'll see, you'll see fewer beds available. So it will be harder, even if you have the money, it will be harder to find a place to go. Mm. And you know? the, the rates of addiction just keep going up. I mean, every, every day there's a new story about how now it's you know, 50,000 people a year dying of overdoses or whatever, passing car accidents and everything. So it's not like there's an end in sight right now. No, there isn't. And, and, you know, in addiction treatment, we don't want to see people die. No. And opioids are exceedingly deadly. You mm -hmm. know, alcoholism is still overarching the number one problem, mm -hmm. but Nine out of 10 people who call us for treatment now have some sort of opioid problem. Mm. It was not like that 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, we'd see a handful of people. And so we are advocates now for a wide range of different things, including marijuana legalization, mm -hmm. because in states, where marijuana for medical use is legalized, we see a 25% drop in opioid overdose deaths. Hmm. Because when people have a choice, they will very often choose marijuana instead of opioids. Now, yeah. you can become addicted to marijuana. Marijuana, you know, uh, can cause a... Uh, uh, brain impairment when it's used, you know, by young people under the age of 25, because the brain's not mature yet. There are right. problems with marijuana. People yeah. die driving impaired. Right. Right. 
But it's not lost on me that if we're experiencing 40,000 deaths a year, mm-hmm. more than that, but let's use a nice round number, and I could save 10,000 of them by legalizing medical marijuana, put it on the ballot. Right. You know, I mean, that's a lot of people's lives we can save. It's a lot of people's futures. A lot Absolutely. of good, good that can come out of those people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, I mean, it, it's, the opioid epidemic has made some sort of strange bedfellows. You wouldn't expect addiction treatment providers <laughs> to be sad. advocating for legalization of marijuana, right. but here we are. Right. You know, because it doesn't matter to me whether it's legal or not. What matters to me is that, wow, when it's legal, fewer people die. Well, right. let's make it legal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fewer deaths is definitely the goal. You know, right. And ha- however we get there, the better. Can I ask you, how do you feel about um, legal opi- opioids, like um, say in Switzerland or the Portugal model or something like that? So what they've done in, Portug- in Portugal is not to legalize right. these drugs, but to decriminalize them. Okay. And there has not been a more successful model than the Portuguese model, because what they've done is petty possessions and whatnot. I mean, listen, if you rock mm-hmm. up, you know, with the back of your pickup, you know, filled with marijuana in bales, you're a drug <laughs> dealer, right? And, right? and there's jail for that. Right. But, you know, if you've got a couple of plants in your in your bathroom or whatever, right, that you're growing in, a, you know, in a closet in your grow room, what happens is they figure that at some point in the addiction process, an addict usually has some sort of run in with the law. Mm-hmm. You've stolen something, you've gotten a DUI, you know, you've had a bar fight, whatever. Whatever, right, yeah. Right there, they put you into a drug court. Mm-hmm. and work you through treatment rather than through incarceration. Mm-hmm. And they have seen recovery rates that are unprecedented. They have seen uh, reductions in crime that we can only dream of. But they also don't have private prisons that they have to fill either. Right. 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 You know, so, but it has been incredible because of the understanding that this is a medical problem, right. not a moral or a behavioral problem, as in I've chosen this be I've chosen to be bad. Right. And so they treat it like a medical problem. And the results have been unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right. I also was recently in Slovenia, in Ljubljana, the capital hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to speak to individuals in a drug treatment program in their hospital and they were stunned absolutely blown away that americans don't have access to uh, drug treatment Treatment. that works to outcomes that you get kicked out after a certain number of days whether you're better or not they're like that's (laughs) mind-boggling 
They're like, you don't wait till the person's better. And they're like, do they do the same thing for cancer treatment? I'm like, well, I guess when your insurance runs out, it runs out, you know. You're done. Bye. I mean, that's one of the things that's very concerning to me about the repeal of the Affordable Health Care Act. One of the benefits of the Affordable Care Act is that the, the cap, the lifetime limit on expenditures, which was, you know, in most cases, you know, a million or million, $2 million, dollars, yeah. Yeah. which isn't anything anymore. <laughs> no, it goes gone. pretty fast. Yeah. If, if you have cancer or something. If you, and, well, and that's the leading cause of bankruptcy in this country is medical costs. Uh, you know? Yeah. So, you know, uh, is that going to, are we going to have, you know, caps on what they're going to pay? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, if an EpiPen is five or 600 bucks. Right. You're going to get to $2 million pretty dang quick. Yeah. So these are all things we have to, to think about. But no, I'm very much in terms, uh, 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 in favor of decriminalizing. Decriminalizing. Decriminalizing drugs. Yeah. And treating, when we, get, when we get someone into, you know, that first brush with the law to say this person needs medical treatment right. and putting them on that rather than throwing them in jail because jail doesn't do it any good. Right. Yeah. Basically they take the money that they would use to put someone in jail and they, they, they probably actually save money by they save a treating lot of them, money by putting them in treatment. And then in the long run, they actually save a ton of money by doing that. Well, not only do they save money, but now instead of someone who's either rotting on the streets from addiction right. and, committing petty crimes, right? Theft and all, you know, all yeah. that to, to, you know, to feed the habit or rotting in prison and costing a ton of money. Right. You have someone who's now a producing member of society, who's taking care of their family, who's mm -hmm. voting, who's paying taxes, right. who's, you know, participating in volunteer work. I mean, whatever yeah. it is, they're not only no longer a drain, but they're putting back. They're a this, plus. Is what, yeah. this is why we encourage employers, right. send your addicts to treatment. Because right. when, you, when they get better and right. they come back to you, you will never have a more loyal employee. Right, exactly. And that you is save big, their life. A big part of that, the Portugal model, is that they not just conduct treatment, but part of the treatment is job training and this sort of education so that the person tends to start to feel better about themselves, their higher self-esteem increases their likelihood to stay sober and get away from drugs because they feel good. They're not anxious and depressed and seeking to escape with their drugs. Oh, sure. Well, one of the things, you know, that, um, that I actually work on as an, you know, part of, uh, of treatment and recovery is uh, table manners and etiquette. Sure. Because you know what? <laughs> if you've been mainlining heroin for <laughs> three years, right? Or five years or 10 years or whatever, you, you know, and someone sends you a wedding invitation, like you're so lucky to still have a friend who wants to invite you to their wedding. <laughs> right. You're like, what, you know, do you I send do? in the RSVP card? Do you, do you have to show up? Do you, how do you, do you show up on time? What do you do if there's an open bar? There's so many things right. that either addicts didn't learn in the first place right. or they've completely forgotten. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, how many addicts in a 12 step program, they wake up, they're in a total panic. And the, and the sponsor says, they call the sponsor and the sponsor says, did you make your bed? And they say no. And the sponsor says, make your bed and hangs up. The addict right. makes their bed and they call the sponsor back and the sponsor says, brush your teeth, eat breakfast. Because right. we've forgotten how to do all those things. There's no normalcy. There's no structure. Right. So, so it's not just job training, which is so important um, with it's, certain populations. It's life skills. Right. Life right. Skills, I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, what do you do when there's every single addict goes to some event where there's an open bar or there's drinking? Right. And yeah. what do you do with that? These are all things that yeah. that addicts need to, to need they to know need to and learn. learn. Yeah. And you're not going to get them. Right. If there's no treatment available. Right. I have another quick question. <laughs> sure, fascinating sure. conversation. I love, I love talking about. Um, so back to the kind of that Portugal model, then I know some states are adopting drug courts then yes. to, to, to try and help people who do get in trouble with the alcohol or drugs out of the prison system Yes, to allow them the chance to get treatment and, and move towards a, a path away from, the criminal realm and towards a healthy life. Is this kind of a step in the right direction for us? Cause I know they do that here where I live in, in Montana even. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Underscore. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> You've heard of this guy, Dr. Phil, right? Kind yeah. of a famous, kind of a famous yeah, fellow. You know, one of yeah. the things, one of the things that he says um, is that, you really don't want to get on that incarceration track. Right. Right. Cause once you get into that, you know, and that's the basis for, you know, his show and helping people and whatever the way he right. does and for, you know, certain people are on that track, addicts included. Once you're, once you're on there, you have problems, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's going to be harder for you to get a job. Now you've got bail and bondsmen and you've got court dates and you got to keep it all straight. And I have a PhD. I don't know that I could get myself to court on time if I had a bunch of court dates Probation. and this and that and the other thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, know, let alone, let alone, and I'm, and I'm sober, right? I don't know that I, <laughs> I don't know, man, that'd be pretty hard. It is hard, yeah. So, you know, if we can avoid if we can, that. Avoid that. Yeah. And if we can look someone in the eye and say, jail's for bad people, right? Mm -hmm. Jail's for people who say, you know what? Mm -hmm. I care about myself more than you, and I'm going to take from you what it is I want. Your property, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to assault you. I'm going to rape you. I'm going to, I'm going to damage you, right? Mm -hmm. Addicts first of all, are basically thieves, right? And they're, right. and they're stealing, yeah. right? And, and they get into, you know, they will run, they will run over a child, you know, if, if they're loaded, I mean, it's not, you know, yeah, it it's not like we don't do bad things, but if you can look at the person and say, you are sick and in need of help, rather than you are bad and rotten and we're going to throw away the key mm -hmm. and then can provide some services. 
the odds are they will get better and they will do better. And even if they aren't, you know, quote unquote, permanently sober, whatever that means, right? Right. You see increases in the amount of time between relapses. Right. And that's really what we're going for, mm-hmm. you know, rather than sitting and rotting in jail, where there are usually few to no programs. You know, right. up where I am, there's no drug treatment in the jail. There's no drug treatment in the prisons. Mm -mm. There are a few kind of rickety programs, you know, and if you do something, you know, worse, right, than just like a petty burglary or whatever, you can go to prison. I don't know if you've seen California prisons, but you don't want to go to one. (laughs) Oh, thanks. You know, and so it makes it worse. I mean, you take someone who has trauma in their background, which almost every addict does. Mm-hmm. They self-medicate with drugs or alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. So now they have the problem of the you know undealt with trauma and all the problems that addiction causes. And you put this broken per- person into a prison setting where they're very likely to be assaulted, raped, whatever, how is this going to make yeah. it? How is this going to make it better? You're 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 basically ensuring that the cycle is going to continue. So yeah. I am all for I am all for drug courts. Absolutely, awesome. get people into social services, into resources, so that we can, you know, hopefully get them contributing again. Because it's not just the addict that's causing you money; it's the three kids that are either in foster care or being cared for by a relative right. that we're all having to deal with who are traumatized because mommy or daddy's in prison and they're not getting the treatment that they need either, which yeah. perpetuates this whole system. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's yeah. ludicrous. We have set people up to fail. Yeah. It's got to find a way to, to get it to stop and, it's going to take little bits here and there, but I'm glad to hear you say that you like the drug courts. I do too. I think it's a great idea and I see it working well in a lot of places. Well, I won't keep you too much longer. We've been having this awesome conversation, but can you tell me just real quickly, what sort of new things do you see working? I know you're into all kinds of stuff and uh, like you're on the cutting edge. So do you see anything that you're really excited about coming down the, the pipeline? Sure. Well, there are a few things that really can change the face of addiction treatment. One of them um, is neuroscience. And what we've learned is that, as I said before, the brain changes its structure because of addictive behavior. So let me give you an example. If you exercise regularly, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can't exercise for a day or two because you're sick, you're on an airplane, whatever. Your body is like, hey, dude, let's get up. Ooh, I missed that. I don't quite feel right. Right. 
well, pour cocaine on that feeling, right? <laughs> and that's what's happening in the brain because of addiction. And there's a saying in neuroscience, what fires together, wires together. So just like when you, build, when you, when you uh, lift weights mm-hmm. and you build muscle, right, mm-hmm. that muscle gets bigger. It's essentially the same thing that's happening in your brain every time you do a drug-seeking behavior. Because there's a ritual to addiction, right? You wake mm-hmm. up in the morning and you say, oh, my God, I need to use. And you look right. for the bottle under your bed or you go to the, your stash or whatever and you start calling the dealer and you get the thing. And then there's a ritual to using. Like I used to like to drink my drinks out of certain glasses. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to be the right glass for the right drink, you know, because right. I was prissy that way. <laughs> but, you know, when you shoot up, there's a there's a ritual to that. You know, yeah. so there's all these rituals involved. And then you're high, which your brain is like, La! and then you come down, you're like, I have to, you start the whole thing over. That yeah. builds new brain connections. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so hard to get off of drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. unaided because your brain is actually wired so for that. So you don't not show up at your kid's wedding or show up drunk and get in a fight or whatever, because that's the choice you made. You're going to get loaded and then whether or not you go to the wedding and whatever happens is just sort of secondary to that. Right. No matter how much you love your kid. Right. Right. So because we've learned this, we've learned things about treatment. One of them is we really need intensive one-on-one psychotherapy to get at the root cause of that you know, archaic trauma to, to understand why you needed to drink and use in the first place mm-hmm. and really deal with that. Because what we find is usually something has happened that we didn't have the coping skills for. Right. And that's not entirely true a hundred percent anymore because of uh, opioid abuse, but even physical trauma, right? You can come from a great family, screw up your knee in football, be the all-star, you know, guy and end up a drug addict. So it's not just emotional trauma, but physical trauma can do the same thing. So we have to do that. Then the other thing that we're learning is if the brain is being changed by addiction, we have to build a whole new neural path set of neural pathways, sort of like, a positive feedback loop, right? That you get on a positive structure to your life that will help you to stay clean and sober. So they used to say in 12 step programs, your disease is doing pushups in the corner and getting stronger while you're in recovery. We found that's not really true. It's not getting stronger, but you always have that, that feedback loop, that neurological loop. It's always there. It's always there. So if I started drinking again, even though I'm, you know, close to 20 years sober, my brain would say, right, you drink two liters of, of hard liquor a day. <laughs> Go well, get I'm not 20, I'm one. not 20 something anymore. I'm 40 something now. <laughs> right. Right. I would be dead. I can't drink like that, you know? Right. So that's, and that's why old timers who relapse mm-hmm. often die. So what we've learned then is that we have to build this other build up a new part of the brain. I can't, I can't change what's there, but I can build up something new. And so there are many complementary therapies that we work with at Cliffside Malibu. Three of the most important are meditation, mm-hmm. yoga, and acupuncture. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because they they change the way the brain works and they build new neurological structures in the brain. Actually, meditation is shown to also grow new gray matter. Your brain essentially gets bigger in positive ways. So if we do these complementary therapies mm-hmm. and we engage in the intensive one-on-one psychotherapy and also give you a supportive structure of a healthy lifestyle. So one of the things that we do at Cliffside Malibu, different from most other treatment centers, is we really focus on nutrition. Nutrition, And yeah. we really focus on health and just regular exercise. And, you know, we take people hiking in the woods mm-hmm. and on the beach, and we have a swimming pool and we have personal trainers just to get people exercising. We have, you know, organic food whenever it's possible. And we have classically trained chefs who, uh, who teach our, our clients when they, when they want to learn how, how to cook for themselves and what mm-hmm. healthy food looks like. Cause you know, addicts are like, can I get a, you know, what comes out of a bag, right? right yeah. Pizza, it's cheap and it comes pockets. out of a bag. Yeah, right. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, so those three components together, the complementary therapies, the intensive one-on-one psychotherapy, and the healthy lifestyle, we have at our treatment center about a 70% uh, recovery rate. Which is which pretty is, phenomenal. Yeah, It's unprecedented. It really is unprecedented. And to give you something to compare that to, just 12 steps alone with no other therapies, you can expect a recovery rate at one year, which is what we're also tracking one year, five to 8%. Yeah. You know, so it really is. And it's not any one of these things, right? If you just go to psychotherapy, you're probably going to relapse. If you just do meditation, you're probably going to relapse. But if you do them all together, they seem to have a synergistic effect that Mm -hmm. all of a sudden now people are, are getting their lives back and they're getting sober. But we also know that you have to do it long enough to build new neural pathways. And that is a minimum of 100 days. Right. Because we're trying, and people say, well, why, why doesn't 28 days work? Well, 28 days comes from insurance companies. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. We have known for a long time that we need longer than that. And what we've learned in the last few years from the neuroscientists is that it just takes time to build new brain matter. I mean, if I, I wish it worked this way, but if I go to the gym and I lift a five pound weight, I can't go back to the gym and lift a 20 pound weight tomorrow. Right. My arm will fall off, right? Or I'll feel like yeah. it will, right? Yeah, I'll be like, right. no. You'll, yeah, exactly. So I can't, I can't get you, I, I just can't build brain matter that fast. And that's what we're doing in treatment. It's actually really exciting because these complementary therapies, They're Mm -hmm. easy to learn Mm -hmm. and they're free or very low cost. Yeah. You know, once you learn how to meditate, maybe you take a class and pay $20 or a hundred dollars or something. Right. Then you, then you know how to do it and you either do it or you don't. Right. But you know, it's very inexpensive. The treatment does not have to be outrageous. No. You know, and these things are good for people who are not addicts too. Yeah. And and I try to get people to the money they used to spend on alcohol or drugs. If you invest that in really good food, you're eating well. Oh yeah. Oh, when I first got <laughs> sober, like... I couldn't believe how much money I had. Right. I didn't make that much at the job that I had at the time, 
But I realized that literally between 50 and 60% of what I was making was going to liquor. Right. Yeah. So when I got sober, I literally got a 50% raise because all of a sudden there's money in my pocket. Yeah. It's amazing. You're absolutely right. It's amazing. Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, Just a couple quick questions before we take off. I want to know a little bit more about you, Dr. Sheriff. What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Um, Well, I have uh, a horse up here that I lease. She's a reined cow horse, which means I do Western style um, riding very often with cattle, right? Get the cows Uh in the pen, get the cows out of the pen, right? That (laughs) sort of thing. Um, And we have on Wednesdays, not so much now because the weather's turned a little bit, but uh, whenever the weather's good, there's an over 40 ladies group that I ride with on Wednesday nights. Nice. Um, I love horses, and so I do, I do a lot at the barn. Okay. I knew, I knew a little something about that. And you'll have to come to Montana sometime. Cause oh, Montana's love, we, beautiful. We love horses here, too. Everyone does. So, yeah, it's a great place. Uh, what sort of music did you rock out to this morning before you started work? So I'm going to be honest. I okay. wake up because I work from home. I wake up as late as possible and go right to work. Uh huh. So there's no music in the no morning. No music in the morning. No music in the morning. But uh-huh. I am a hard rock girl. Like I uh-huh. like alternative hard rock. <laughs> All right. Or well, a little bit of eighties. You know, can't right. can't can't do wrong with the Cure. No, I. There you go. I'm an eighties guy too. Right mostly, on. Mostly hard rock, but. Anything hmm. 80s, it can still get it, get it mm-hmm. into for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. How can people best connect with you, Dr. Sher? Anyone can get in contact with me through the Cliffside Malibu website. Okay. Um, there's an, you know, an inquiry form, and it's just cliffsidemalibu.com, and they'll be like, contact us or ask us for help or whatever. Right. And you just say, I want to talk to Dr. Sharf, and they'll give me a message in your email address. Perfect. And we'll be sure to put that link on uh, show notes for this show has been wonderful talking with you. A fascinating topic, and I hope everything goes well with this new administration and everything you're doing out there is great. I love hearing the good stuff. So, oh, thanks. And you know, I mean, it's it's really up to us, you know, to to tell the administration what we want. I mean, if it's important, yeah, that um, you know, Montana Montana went red. He, you know. Yeah. He's listening to to you guys. California, maybe he doesn't <laughs> listen to us so much, but you know he's listening to you guys. And if you say, you know what, it's really important that ad- addiction treatment stay, yeah, because we're losing our families to this. It's a pretty bipartisan topic, and I think that's why CARA was passed because everyone agrees we need to help these people. Absolutely, and so you know, tell Trump and his administration. This can't go. Right. All right. You know, and, and, and I think he'll listen. I, like I said, I, I think he's a lot smarter than a lot of people give him credit for. <laughs> yeah, and definitely. I think he, I think he'll listen. Yeah. You know, I hope he'll listen. So tell yeah. him what you need, Montana and All the rest right. of the country. Yeah, exactly. All right. We will. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharp, for sharing Thank with us. You. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank Take you. Care.
Wow, what a great interview. I hope you got some golden nuggets out of that conversation because I know I certainly did. And thanks again for listening. And please, if you haven't already, go over to iTunes or your favorite podcast service and subscribe. Leave us a review. Let me know how I'm doing. I really want to know. Also, head on over to Facebook and join our Recovery Innovators group. It's a free, closed group where you can get your questions answered. You can get accountability if you need it. And maybe you can help provide some support for those in need. We all need a little help from time to time. You can learn more on my website at recoveryinnovatorsradio.com or my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash recoveryinnovators. And just send me a request to join and I'll get you all hooked up. You can also get my free report if you haven't already. Three huge mistakes almost everyone makes when they try to quit drinking or doing drugs that cause them to struggle with cravings and relapse and how to avoid these forever. And lastly... Please feel free to send me an email if you have any questions or thoughts. My email address is james at recoveryinnovators.com, and I personally take the time to read every one I get and respond as soon as I can. I can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more at recoveryinnovatorsradio.com.